Baal's memorial had been removed. The queen embraced and promoted Baal. Ahab himself, although he still recognized the God of Israel to an extent through his worship of the golden calves, he had added Baal worship to his religious practices. And so you might say he had one foot in both camps. He still worshipped the God by way of the idols in Bethel and Dan, but he also built a temple to Baal. And he bowed down before the image there, an image made by human hands. If we were to put this in modern terms, we'd be looking at someone who, although they like to remain part of the Christian church, perhaps as backup, wanted to live like the world. We heard this morning that Baal worship was all about sex and materialism. And so we're looking at someone who still wanted to bear the name of the church, but they wanted to live like the world embracing sex and things. But the inevitable consequence of this tainted approach is that the gospel message would need to be watered down. And that's exactly what begins to happen in Israel. And as I said, it looked like Ahab was winning the day. And what we see in short order is that the curse upon Hiel was just a small taste of what was to come for the entire nation of Israel. Because almost immediately, Elijah appears on the scene, and his very name defies the apostasy of the world that's around him. Elijah literally means, my God is Yahweh. And what, and who, does it, who, who is it that he has a message for, brothers and sisters? None other than for King Ahab. King Ahab, the one who in addition to Yahweh had embraced the gods of the Canaanites. And so the scene that unfolds is a, is a stark declaration that there are two paths for the nation of Israel to boldly declare their allegiance to Yahweh, the one covenant God. God who had delivered them from slavery in Egypt and who had secured their inheritance in the promised land, or to incorporate the sinful practices of Baal, as Ahab had done. And there is more in the introduction of Elijah onto the scene. Our text says that he was from Tishbe in Gilead. Although there is some scholarly debate about the location of this town, The most compelling conclusion is that this town was in the area that would later be known as Galilee. And already at this time, it was considered a backwater country, a place where the people were unrefined, backwards, and perhaps out of touch with the sophistication of modern life. And so another contrast quickly emerges. You have Ahab, the royal king, Sophisticated and affluent, 
refined, married to a daughter of a king, living his life according to the spirit of his own age, a modern aristocrat. And then you have the boorish Elijah. We might call him a hillbilly or a country bumpkin. Nevertheless, someone out of touch with modern life. And this is the scene that's all too familiar in our own world. The liberal church promotes a gospel that's essentially incorporating the gods of this unbelieving world. We dare not forbid same-sex relationships. We ought to embrace the going view about gender equality by opening all the offices of the churches to women. We don't want to look silly to the world, so we had better find a way to work with the modern theory of evolution. And if you don't join in, you're considered out of touch with modern times. We're not immune, brothers and sisters. We've already seen these discussions in our own circles. And so we're being confronted in essentially the same way. Are you willing to stand with those who are disconnected from what is considered today's reality with the unpopular backwater Christians who stand with Elijah, bearing that confession, my God is Yahweh. I believe in him. And him alone. And it was from this place of firm conviction that Elijah brings the message of God. And beloved, it's not a popular message all the time. It did not appease the masses who were following in the footsteps of Ahab. Far from it. His message was a message of judgment upon a people who were no longer wholly and entirely committed to their God. Ahab and the people had one foot in the world. They wanted to worship Baal in addition to the one true God. But beloved, the Creator God wants your complete allegiance. He only wants to see one confession on the lips of His people. And it's the confession of Elijah. My God is Yahweh. No matter how unpopular, how silly that might seem to the world around us. And so he begins his message to Ahab with an affirmation of his status before God. As the Lord, the God of Israel lives, before whom I stand. He impresses upon Ahab that he's not coming with his own message. No, he stands before God as his servant. This phrase implies a close affinity with his God, Yahweh. Ahab's being tuned in, you might say, so that he realized that the message he was about to receive was not, didn't originate first and foremost with Elijah, but rather from the living God who made heaven and earth. The God who had control over this universe. Unlike this other God, Baal, 
who supposedly controlled the rain that gave the crops, the living God was about to speak through his prophet Elijah. And the message was one that was going to show definitively who the real God was. There shall be neither dew nor rain these years except by my word. By the power of the word of God, heaven's, living, heaven's life-giving rain would be stopped. Baal, the God who supposed, supposedly gave rain, would be powerless to stop this drought. Beloved, this very announcement should have caused a wave of repentance all throughout Israel because this was exactly what the Lord had warned the people would happen if they had turned away from him. Deuteronomy 11, verses 16 and 17, gives the people this warning. Take care, lest your heart be deceived, and you turn aside and serve other gods and worship them. Then the anger of the Lord will be kindled against you, and he will shut up the heavens so that there will be no rain, and the land will yield no fruit. And you will perish quickly off the good land that the Lord is giving you. And you can see from this warning that the final result would be really no different than that of Hiel. The good land, the inheritance of God, would be taken away. And so once again, we, we, we need to look beyond what's, what's really happening here to the spiritual significance of uh, of the promised land. To perish from the land implied far more than physical difficulty. It implied that they would also perish eternally. That their thirsty souls would be denied entrance into the eternal inheritance where no one would ever thirst again. And beloved, what we see is the state that we all find ourselves in when we live in rebellion against God. And it's the pattern that we see repeated time and again throughout the history of the church. What's often overlooked is that God could have just let the people live in their apostasy, given them over to their sinful inclinations. But that's not how our God deals with us. Well, that's not what our loving God does. No, He comes with His Word. He confronts them with their sin and the rebellion with the intent of calling the people out in order that they might return to Him, the one true God. And this would not be the last time that God would send such a messenger. There would be one who came after him, someone greater than him, greater than Elijah, and he also came from the back country of Galilee, who would come to the people who also thought they knew better, 
who had one foot in the world, who were living under this judgment. And to these spiritually thirsty souls, our Lord Jesus Christ, in His love and in His mercy, proclaimed that message of repentance. And at the beginning of His ministry, He said, Repent and believe, for the kingdom of God is at hand. And the assurance of our Lord and Savior for those that turned to Him was that they would never thirst again. Whoever drinks of the water that I will give him shall never thirst. But the water that I will give him will become in him a well of water springing up to eternal life. And that's also a message for us this afternoon. Judgment awaits those who refuse to repent and trust exclusively in the one true God. But the life-giving water is waiting for those that embrace Him. And it's important that we heed that call that's issuing forth from the Word of God. Like the servant of God announced that the life-giving rain would stop so that the life-giving message of salvation can also be taken away. And that's actually what we see next in our text. And it brings us to our second point. God upholds His Word through judgment implemented. What we see happening